We're going to talk about alignment, realignment. I gave away in a moment what we're going to talk about. Let's go there for a minute. This is a time of year when there's a heightened sense and interest in monster stories and in those tales. And there is one that seems to align, if you will, with our idea of realignment. And it's a story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Even if you've not really known the book or read the book or seen any of the movies, you get the premise of the story. There's this well-mannered doctor who creates this potion. And in taking this potion, he transforms into someone completely different. The doctor, Dr. Jekyll, is a good, upstanding, moral man. But the beast, the Mr. Hyde that he becomes, has no convictions and no morals, and he wreaks havoc everywhere that he goes. Do you know anyone like that? I, I don't mean the multiple personality syndrome that goes on in some people's lives. Do you know someone who face-to-face seems really nice and kind and encouraging, and then in a completely different setting, there's someone else entirely that maybe behind your back, they, as we use the phrase, stab you in the back. Or maybe they say things that are rude or cruel about you, and you think to face-to-face they were really nice, but this seems like a completely different person. The idea of alignment is something we've traced a little bit along the way throughout this fall. I want to come back to it just one more time this morning. We've defined alignment as, or integrity, as aligned in what I believe and how I live. That's integrity, the aligning of what it is I believe and how I live. And that shows us that there's a challenge, that sometimes we can believe one thing and yet live another way. Or we can be a certain person in public, but someone completely different in private. Or sometimes we say something, but we don't always practice what we preach. And the call of Scripture, the call of God is for us to align ourselves. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Do you remember what Ricky talked about, those crooked paths in Philippians 2? Do you see the consistency of how God is calling us to that straight path, that straight way of walking? And that's a person who is aligned. What it is I believe is how it is I live. And I want to come back there one more time. I want to talk about the idea of our relationships and what integrity has to do with our relationship with one another. It doesn't take long for us when we start browsing through the New Testament to realize God wants us as his people to love one another, that love is important to God. Sixteen times in the New Testament, the direct phrase, love one another, is found. We might think of phrases like this one in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 35, which says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all the way all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. The immense importance, the foundation of love. If I have it all but have not love, I really don't have anything. In fact, if your Bibles are open there to 1 John 4, we sing this phrase in verse 7 where it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. These are these sweet anthems that we remember so well that just powerfully declare the people of God are going to be a people of love. I want to give you a passage this morning. I'm going to put it on the board, and I want you to think just for a moment the initial thought about what this verse might mean and what it has to do with integrity. The book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Some versions, like the ESV will say, Let love be genuine. 
You know, even before we unpack that and consider all the implications of what that phrase might mean, can't we appreciate what this verse is showing us? It's not enough to love someone or to say that I love someone. God wants his people to love one another, to love our neighbors and our brethren and those around us with a special kind of love, with a sincere, genuine kind of love. That's what this verse is revealing, is that we can love in a certain way that is free from any kind of sincerity, genuineness, any kind of imitation of God's character and heart. That's what I want to start with. What does it mean to love with hypocrisy? What would that mean? What are applications of loving someone? What are examples of loving someone with hypocrisy? Well, in one way, it's when we say love, but then we don't live it. We say that we love someone, but we don't live that love out in our lives. In 1 John 3, verse 17, John says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Do you get the image? I love you, and I would do anything for you. I hear you're in need of money. I just won't do that. I won't do that. I'll do anything else. You need help on a Saturday unpacking your garage. Anything but that. I love you, and I would help you. You need to help moving your car. Any, do you hear the language? I love you. I really do. And I have what you need, but I feel like I need it more. I need it for me and my spending and my pleasure and my joys. To have what someone needs and to claim I love them without giving what they need. Here he uses worldly goods, but it could be anything service or time or kindness or, or spiritual example and teaching. If I have what someone needs and I don't give it, can I really say that I have love, genuine love in my heart? How about when we say love, but then we don't feel it? And in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Love from a pure heart. That is, I say I love you, but inside, I don't like you. In fact, I'm jealous of you and envious of you. I despise you. I'm going to say I love you. I love you to my face, to your face, not to my face, to your face. But inside, I, I can't stand you. There's something inconsistent there, isn't there? That what it is I am saying and claiming isn't genuine with what's deep down within my heart. That's a hypocritical love. What about when we say love and we do harm? Romans chapter 13 and verse 10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And what he will follow with is quoting certain sections of the Ten Commandments about murder and adultery and, and stealing. And Paul's point is, love fulfills the law, those special kind of harmful rules of the law. That is, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal what you have. If I love my neighbor, that is my wife, if I love my spouse, then she has no fear of me breaking our promise and the commitment we have to one another. If I love my neighbor, they have no fear of me lashing out with my hands in harm. But that's the point, isn't it? What does it mean to say, I love you, I love one another, and then I turn around and harm them with my life? That I say certain things that cut down deep, I criticize them, I rip them up and down, or I isolate them. I don't want to spend any time with them, not them, not that person. To say love but to act unloving is a hypocritical love. Let's put one more. When we say love, but then we give it selectively. Because Jesus, in the context, when he says you are to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you, follows up by saying, if you, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. 
And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing? What more are you doing uh, than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. If I only love those who are like me, who like the things I like. I mean, we could paint that in different ways, right? Can an A&M voter or a friend love a Texas fan? Is that too soon with Texas and Oklahoma yesterday? Can I love? Do you know what it really looks like in the church, though? Maybe I'm a person... And I'm really big into love and the grace and the mercy and all those thoughts about relationships and one another. But then here's a brother, and they're really big into law and the law of God and honoring his word. Can I love them even though we're so different? Or what if I'm a person and I'm really into tradition and the way things have been and it means a lot to me. There's a lot personally that's wrapped up in there. But then here's a sister and she's really into things that are new, kind of breaking away from tradition and trying things outside the box. Can we love one another? If I only love those, if I only spend time with those, if I only talk to those, if I only sit next to those, if I only associate with those who are like me, my love is hypocritical. What are you doing more than those? What about those who are so different from us? Can't we love one another in spite of our differences? Let love be without hypocrisy. Love one another genuinely. Or we might just say the application of this is quite simple. Love one another the way that God loves you. Love like Jesus. And it's not do things that are loving, right? A loving gesture, a loving word, a loving gift. The language of loving in Romans 12 and verse 9 is akin to what Paul would say in Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 of walking in love. The continual choice and path of one who is pursuing this kind of love in their life. If I want to be like Jesus, that verse on the board, if I want to be like Jesus, if I want as a child to be more like my father, then I'm going to walk the way he walked and I'm going to love others the way that he loves. And that's challenging. Because the world loves, like Romans 12 and verse 9, I will love you so long as it fits with my life and my schedule and my way of thinking, but Christ's love is so different, and it compels us. It challenges us to love that way. So let's end here. What does it mean to walk in love? To walk in love, to love like God loves. Well, I think it starts right here. That love takes a step towards others. Your Bible's open to 1 John chapter 4. Notice with me what it said in 1 John chapter 4. And when it says down in verse 19, 1 John 4 and verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. He says in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The initiation of God's love was not on our part. It's not that God said, whoa, they are showing faith in me. They're turning from their sins. They're worshiping me and reading my Bible. I'm going to take a step towards them in kindness and generosity. Nope, nope. It is not when we thought of God. It's not when we initiated. It's not when we prayed. God took the first step. If God were to wait for you and I to take that first step and initiate, he would still be waiting. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good and not when we were thoughtful. God's love does not wait for an invitation. God's love does not wait for someone to welcome them into their life. God's love took the first step. And if we're going to love like God, that's got to be the way we love one another. Which means I'm not waiting for an invitation to get to know you. 
If they want to know me, they'll come to me. No, that's not the way God loves. I'm not going to wait for you to do something kind to me so that I will reciprocate and do something kind to you. God's love takes the first step. Even in reconciliation, if they want to make things right, they can come to me. They know where I am. That's not God's love. Even if things are broken, love takes the first step. So maybe it's my fault, and I've hurt someone. And Matthew 5, verse 23 says, If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember before your brother, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You got it? I'm worshiping, and I remember, ooh, I see them, and they're sitting right over there. And I said something, and I know they're bothered because I still see that vein sticking out of their head. I know they're so mad at me. Maybe they'll come and talk to me, and we'll talk it out. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of conviction. The Texas word is gumption, gumbo. Step out and take the first step. I've wronged you. I, I did something so wrong, and I am so sorry. I did this to you. I shouldn't have said it this way. I, I, I didn't mean it this way, but I know it hurt you. Please, will you please forgive me? But you know what also works in the op- opposite way? That when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. For if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. You hear that? I've got something against someone. They hurt me. They wounded me. They said something you would not believe what they said to me. What's Jesus say? Forgive them. Forgive them. But they haven't come to me first. They haven't said sorry. They haven't even admitted the fact that they said something. Love takes the first step. And there in that prayer, I'm going to pray. Now, you, do you see the two sides of conflict on the screen? What happens if both people love like Jesus and take the first step? Do you see the intersection of love and reconciliation? I'm coming to you because I did harm, and I want to make it right. And I'm praying to God, and I'm forgiving you because I don't want to be wrong with you. And we both take a step towards one another when we walk in love. Do you see that? I'm not waiting for you to make it right. I'm not waiting for you to draw closer to you. I'm taking the initiative because God first loved us. I don't wait not to be invited or to be welcomed. I'm coming into your life, and I want to love you the way that God loves you. Walking love also means I take away, a step away from self. Paul would describe this love in 1 Corinthians 13 that it does not seek its own. It's not a self-driven kind of love. Or as, as John would say in 1 John 3 and verse 16, that we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's love, a love that gives of my own for the sake of another. In fact, will you go with me to Philippians 2, something that Ricky brought up this morning. I just wanted you to see it. Philippians chapter 2, he used a great phrase from Philippians chapter 2, and in verse 17. He says, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share with my, uh, my joy with you all. And here's a phrase he used. I want to get this one right. He said... We are pouring out our lives in service to God and one another as a drink offering. He connected it back to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, that living sacrifice. Would you love that? Love says it's not about me and my way and my preference, what I get. I am pouring out my life for you. Here's the challenge with that. 
Paul uses a phrase in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 2, make room for us in your hearts. It is hard to live, to, to love others, to let them in, to put them first when my heart looks a lot like that. Does your garage look like that? That's not mine. <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? I know there's some of your men saying, I could fit something else in there. I could get it in. We'll cram them in. Make room for us in your heart, and yet our hearts are so full. And it's not full of good things, most often. Oftentimes it's full of a lot of baggage. Like it's full of a lot of bitterness over things that happened in the past, things I just can't get rid of and let go of because I know what they did and I know what they said, and it just stores and fill up, fills up a lot of space. Or it's full of with a lot of anger. I'm just angry all the time. People frustrate me so much. The things that they say and the way that they act. And there's just a lot of bottled up, boxed up anger sitting in, in, in my, the garage of my heart. Or maybe it's jealousy. Do you know what's at the root of all those from James 3 and verse 13? When I'm really jealous towards you and I want what you have, or I'm angry towards you or bitter saying, I'm, I'm never going to get over this. James reveals in James 3.13, the root of all of that is a lot of pride and a lot of selfishness. It's a lot about me. I will never get over it because I will remember what you did to me. You hurt me and you need to make it right and I will never move on and I will never forgive you. I, 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 I. And they don't deserve it. I wish I had that because I worked so hard and I went to college and I got that degree and I don't have that kind of a job and I, 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 I. And there's no room. There's no room for you. There's no room for your life and your preference. There's no room for loving and grace and kindness towards you because my heart is so full with me. Me. Did you know from Philippians 2 how that began? Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Which means there may come a time when we've got to clear out the garage. In order to let some people in, we have to take some things out. That's the language of Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. What is he saying? Clean out the garage. Clean out your heart. You will never love people the way you are meant to love others and people if your heart is so full of these worldly, selfless, vain thoughts and attitudes. Get rid of them all. Well, why? How? Well, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. Do you know anyone that way? Who when you try and, and share your story, you're so burdened and you want to share with them what's bothering you and you start talking to them and their first response is, you know, that reminds me of a story in my life. I thought I was trying to tell my burdens to you and now I'm having to deal with your burdens. Do you know anyone that way? That every time they talk, they're just pulling out stuff from their own heart because they don't have room to hear your story. They don't have space to carry your burdens because life has become all about them. I wonder if our book would read a little different from, from God's book, but that John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. But Jordan so loved the world 
He wanted to give, but he was too busy and too distracted on all the things that meant the most to him. Love takes a step first. I initiate. I will step towards you. But I've got to make some, some room in my heart. There's some things I've got to let go of. That means a lot of grace, brethren. A lot of grace towards our brethren. We carry a lot of baggage and frustration towards one another that does nothing more than frustrate our relationships here under the sun. It won't matter when we stand before the throne of God. Do we realize that? The things so often that get under our skin and bother us about one another won't matter a difference when we see him face to face. Let's clear that out. I can't do that for you today, but I can do it for me, and you need to do it at home. Lord, there's a lot of baggage in my heart. Guilt and anger and frustration and jealousy and things that have lived in there too long. Please help me by your power and by your grace. That power was promised to us today. Rid it from my life. Help me to move forward with kindness and grace. Make my life like your life was about those in my life. Let me love others the way that you love them. Let there be room in my heart. We need more of that. Because, brethren, there will never be a time when we are more like Jesus, when we are more like the Savior than when we choose to love. Think of that. When I choose to love, listen to that language again. When I choose to love, that when someone really bothers me and gets under my skin, instead of choosing anger, I choose love. That when someone says something so insensitive, and cuts under the skin, instead of retaliation, I choose love. That when someone positions themselves so differently on purpose, it's like they want me not to like them, I'm going to choose all the more to love them, to love them. That when someone fails and disappoints, I'm going to choose not to remind them all the time and to keep a a record written in ink, but to choose to love them how I hope they will love me. We will not be more like Jesus than when we choose to love. And brethren, and I mean this brethren, Campbell Road family, we need that love. We really need that love. I was thinking, what what does it look like for a family so different and disjointed in many ways because of our differences come together as one? And I want to share with you what I have been shown It's a beautiful, beautiful analogy. I will put a caveat at the beginning. Every bit of what I have been shown has nothing to do with me and every bit to do with the amazing grace and glory of God. Please understand it at the outset. I'm not praising or boasting in anything, but in God's amazing grace and goodness to someone so undeserving. 2016, we adopted Benjamin and brought him home from South Korea. And life changed. (laughs) And every good... In an amazing way. So many of you know that so well. 2018, we adopted Noah in Busan, Korea. And in 2019, out of nowhere like a train came Miss Emma. There was a question that came into our minds as we adopted each of these children. With Benjamin, it was natural because he was the only child and he was going to be showered with continual love and affection and attention as every firstborn is. But when Noah came on the picture, there was a lot of questions of how is this really going to go? How, how are these boys going to relate with one another? They don't start from birth. These are boys with a story. Uh, th- these are boys with a background. These are two boys who are different in a lot of different ways. 
And they love one another. And they love each other greatly. Then with Emma, that was a real question, was how are these boys going to have to do with this sister? How is that going to be? How will she be? Is she going to be that little princess that sits on your lap, or is she going to be one I'm going to need a lot of health insurance for <laughs> once I bring her home? And the latter has proved true. But you wonder, how, how are they going to relate with one another? Again, there's a lot of differences in each of their stories, and they're coming with so much behind them, bringing this together, and, and it's just been a joy. They're so different, my three children. They're different in their heritage. They're different in their life stories and experiences. They're different in their personalities and the way that God made them. But none of that compares to what unites them. They share the same story. They've been adopted by a father and mother who loved them so greatly. And they are brothers and sisters for life. In spite of all those differences, all you see out of my kids, not every day, mind you, those pictures are <laughs> few and far between some days. But what you see more than others is just a lot of love. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. I know we have a lot of differences about us, brethren. We do. To some of us, some things seem far more important than others. Our backgrounds are so different. Our, our heritages are so different. Our mindsets sometimes are, are so very different. But that doesn't have to be a cause for division. That doesn't mean we have to divide and to split and only surround ourselves with people who are just like us because the reality is there's no one just like us. I promise you the things that divide us cannot compare with the things that unite us. We are adopted into the family of God and we share the same story. There's a father who loved you the same way he loved me and he sought you the same way he sought me. And he gave Jesus for you like he gave him for me. And even though we are different, and there's things about each one of us that may be strong where another is weak, what can be seen more than anything else is a family that really, really loves each other. In spite of our differences, in spite of our uniquenesses, we just really, really love each other because we're part of this same wonderful family. Can we leave with that on our hearts, good brethren? There's not a local church that exists under the sun that's going to be made of perfect people. Even if there was a church with 400 Jordan Chalices, that church would split on the first Sunday. There's something beautiful about diversity. There's something beautiful about being made one in spite of our differences. There's something stronger than pointing out the ways we're different and simply pointing the ways that makes us one. Praise be to God for this beautiful family he's made us one. If you're not a part of this family, that can be yours today.
You today can choose to belong to God's family. God has more than enough room at his table for you. And God has room in his heart for you here this day. The question is, have you made room in your heart for God? Are you willing to turn from your sin, to leave those things behind that has kept you from him? Are you willing today to confess Jesus as the Son of God and the Lord of your life? If you're willing today to be baptized, you today can leave just as many here have done, adopted into his family. But if you're here and there's something we can do to encourage you or help you or strengthen you in your walk with God, before we leave, that needs to be what we do today. And so if we can help you or pray with you, we have a song right now for that reason. Let's do it right now. Let's do it as we stand, as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.